It's February 27th, 2007, and you're listening to the NACOcast, coming to you from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. My name is Christopher Millard. Mommy, mommy, I want to be a trombone player when I grow up. But Jimmy, she answers, you can't do both. Well, in fact, a whole lot of people do grow up to be trombonists, and they have been doing so for a very long time. As early as the 15th century, the instrument was so valued that a trombonist in the city of Ferrara was the highest paid musician in the Duke's court. We can see lots of examples of trombones in the art of Filipino lipai and many others throughout the Renaissance, and a lot of them seem to be angels. Well, nowadays it takes an angel to help anyone get a job as a trombonist in a symphony orchestra. The competition is severe and the numbers are sobering. Most modern orchestras employ three trombonists, and these are not positions that open frequently. For example, take our own National Arts Centre Orchestra, where the principal trombonist has held the chair for something like 25 years, the bass trombonist for 35 years, oh, and the second trombonist, the young guy, he's only been here for 20. Well, it also takes somewhat of an angel to be a trombonist in an orchestra, especially one like the National Arts Centre Orchestra, which usually operates with between 50 and 60 musicians on stage. We do a little less of the big Mahler and Strauss repertoire, and a little more of the Beethoven, Mendelssohn, Schumann kind of repertoire, and our orchestra tends to play with a more chamber music approach, inviting a lot of delicacy and transparency. When you're playing a brass instrument in this repertoire, you're often called upon to play with an angelic delicacy that's really very difficult. So, there's an old joke which asks, how do you keep a trombonist from drowning? The answer, take your foot off his head. Entirely unfair humor, of course, but it does speak a bit to the systemic view that trombones are the thugs of the orchestra, capable of flattening armies with their big brass sounds. In fact, this view has been, fortunately, supplanted in recent generations by the generally held realization that modern symphony trombonists are extremely well-schooled, thoughtful about balance, knowledgeable about the repertoire, and kind to small animals. And while it's still best to avoid putting your head too close to an extended trombone slide, I can say categorically that trombonists are responsible orchestral citizens, pay their taxes on time, and are responsible for some of the best moments in a concertgoer's life. Well, my guest on today's NACOcast is the bass trombonist for the National Arts Centre Orchestra, Douglas Burden. Douglas had a distinguished career as both a performer and a teacher. And like most trombonists, he's an eloquent and passionate spokesman for his cause. Doug, welcome to the NACOcast. Hi, Chris. Tell me, has anyone ever been killed by a trombone slide? I'm sure they have, uh, but uh, I don't know exactly what that would be. It's a a very uh, powerful weapon. It is a weapon. I'm going to pass you something I'd like you to read out loud. It's by Hector Berlioz, and it's taken from his treatise on orchestration. Will you read this for me? I'd love to. In my opinion, the trombone is a true head of that family of wind instruments which I have named epic. 
It possesses nobility and grandeur to the highest degree. It has all the serious and powerful tones of sublime musical poetry, from religious calm and imposing accents to savage orgiastic outbursts. Directed by the will of a master, the trombones can chant like a choir of priests, threaten, utter gloomy sighs, and mournful lament, or a bright hymn of glory. They can break forth into awe-inspiring cries and awaken the dead or doom the living with their fearful voices. Wow. Well, that's a lot to live up to. <laughs> it's interesting. His term orgiastic suggests wild and uncontrolled behavior. So are trombonists generally party animals? Oh, yes. Very much so. But less so as they get older. That's right. Yes. So, Doug, mm-hmm. seriously now, let's have some history. Can you give us a little bit of the story of the evolution of the trombone going back several hundred years? Well, uh, certainly trombones uh, were used in the Renaissance uh, times uh, for ceremonial music. Um, both in the courts of the uh, dukes and duchesses and kings and queens that they served. Uh, They were also uh, associated with uh, church functions and ceremonies as well. Um, They were highly regarded at that that particular time. There aren't uh, any uh, remaining actual instruments from that period, but um, certainly they were uh, called trombones. And uh, we're very, very close to the to the trumpet family, but highly regarded as uh, an instrument and uh, their their usefulness. What would be the um, instruments that came immediately before those early trombones? What was the evolution? Uh, the evolution came, uh, from what I've read, from a slide trumpet. Uh, trumpets up to inventing the <clears throat> extension of, 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 of the trumpet into a slide were fixed in terms of the pitches of the harmonic series. So someone figured, well, if we want to add additional harmonic series, let's lengthen and have a, uh, a variable way to lengthen that trumpet. And uh, the next step then would be to take that trumpet and put two very simple U-bends in it to lengthen the, um, the length of the basic um, instrument. And then someone else, I don't know who that would have been, uh, devised a way, well, why don't we see if we can put two uh, slides together, one stationary and one moving, so that uh, we can have this uh, very, very simple but efficient way of changing the pitch. So having a slightly larger bore slide over a slightly smaller bore. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. And it amazes me to even think that back then they could have the uh, craftsmanship that would allow that to take place because it would all have been done by hand. Uh, we treasure our modern instruments and the um, the distances that are so beautifully maintained at the uh, factory, but those are all done by machines. Back then it was a real craftsmanship and obviously worked quite successfully. Let's just take a step back a little bit. I want you to demonstrate for us um, a couple of things. You referred a moment ago to the harmonic series. Some of our NACOcast listeners will remember back in the fall when I uh, spoke with our tuba player and he gave us a very interesting demonstration of harmonic series. Mm-hmm. Would you just show us, um, maybe we start with your, your fundamental B flat on the instrument. If you could play that and then um, describe to me how you get these various notes in the harmonic series. First of all, uh, I, I, one needs to hear them in your head. Uh, we, we call it the song. You need to hear that pitch. And then the relationship of practicing allows you then to form the buzz 
associated with the uh, pitch because the instrument when you choose the slide position is already to resonate a distinct number of pitches it's up to you as the performer to make your lips buzz those pitches okay so play for me now this this harmonic series on the b flat Okay, so um, if you're on a really good day, you can get even higher than that, I suppose, huh? <laughs> well, that was pretty high. <laughs> and that's achieved just by tightening the embouchure tension. That uh, is correct, except you do need the wind to go through the embouchure, because the embouchure, our, our lips act like your reed. Or another analogy is you can hoist a sail on a sailboat, but if there's no wind, the sailboat's not going to go anywhere. Generally associate the higher harmonics with faster air velocity? Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Now, what we need to do now is take, a, take a, another step and see what happens with the, with the slide. Now, you, what is the maximum range in intervallic terms that you can achieve with your slide extended as far as you can reach and then brought in right to your face? It's a, it's a tritone on an ideal harmonic. Not every harmonic allows for that, but uh, so yes. a tritone is essentially an augmented fourth. Correct. Okay, so not too much. Why don't you play for me in that, in, in corresponding to the to the fundamental and the overtones that you just played? Show me how you can achieve a series of uh, inter, intervening notes with the slides. Sure, love to. It appears to me, Doug, that the slide is, is definitely the essence of the trombone. So going back, we, we say that the first evidence of it would have been in what what period? Uh, the Renaissance. Okay, so... Uh, it's actually documented. 15th century, presumably? Yes. Okay. Now, moving ahead, uh, talk to me about at, at what point the, uh, the instrument started to become um, as versatile as, as it has become with modern symphony orchestras. Who was the first composer to use it in the symphonic repertoire? In the symphonic repertoire, it was Beethoven in, the, in his fifth symphony. Uh, we just did a performance, a wonderful performance of that a couple of weeks ago. And Beethoven, always pushing the boundaries of composition, um, wanted to make a more dramatic statement at the end of his symphony. Trombones had been around for a very long time, but had not been closely associated with the symphony orchestra. So he knew that the caliber and the quality of the players was there. He said, why don't I add trombones? It's, cu it's really curious in the sense that it didn't happen sooner. When you consider that French horns and trumpets at this time are, are not yet valved instruments in, mm -hmm. the, in the 1700s, and in order to, to really get utilization, the composer had to expect that, a, that he, his horn players would have several 
uh, horns available to them to get all the notes necessary. And yet, even at this time, the trombone was an instrument that could give a complete chromatic scale. Yes, yes. It's an interesting uh, study, that uh, part of our history, because in the uh, Renaissance, uh, trombones flourished. We seem to have uh, diminished in our uh, stock in trade um, in, you know, after the time of Gabrielli. And uh, we were still closely associated with choral works and uh, opera and anything associated with voice um, because uh, Mozart wrote uh, uh, trombone parts in two operas, um, Don Giovanni towards the end of it, and uh, quite prominently in the, in the Magic Flute. But uh, having written his 41 symphonies, Mozart chose not to place us on stage. He was quite happy to have us out of sight and, and in the pit. Now, would instruments from Beethoven's period be pretty much the same as they are today? No. Um, they would have been of similar pitch, um, but the size of the bore, that is the diameter of the tubing would have been smaller, the uh, diameter of the bell would have been smaller, the mouthpiece would have been smaller. Um, but there was a long-standing tradition uh, prior to Beethoven and uh, continued through Beethoven and beyond of writing for the alto trombone, the tenor trombone, and the bass trombone. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. These correspond to the classifications for the human voice. Yes. So do we have soprano through through bass trombones? Absolutely. Uh, and actually, the soprano, alto, tenor, bass, and contrabass trombones. Now, you play the bass trombone. Correct. Are you also capable of playing the tenor trombone? Yes, I am. And what are the challenges for you as a bass trombonist in picking up the tenor trombone? Every instrument has a slightly different uh, distance that one has to learn in terms of uh, where you place the uh, slide. Uh, This is what really has fascinated me all my life in working with trombonists. Mm-hmm. You know, I play the bassoon, right. and I have all these keys and finger positions, and I know that pretty much if I put down the right number of notes, right number of keys, I'm going to get a G and see if they're going to be, sound good or not. But mm-hmm. you guys have to have this very intricate muscle memory, this of the position of the extension of the right arm. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a bit about the challenge of developing that that habitual understanding and memory of where to put the slide. Well, it starts in your imagination. It's, it starts with a song, and I believe anyone who can sing can play the trombone. Um, you need to be able to anticipate uh, in your inner ear where that note needs to be. And through uh, practicing melodies, practicing um, uh, repetitive sequences, you learn the muscle memory that is associated with those particular pitches. Um, I continually tell my students that they have the ability to never play in tune or to always play in tune. It's up to you. It's not the instrument that uh, can be blamed. And um, so it, it's, it's a wonderful study, and it's an, a very um, expressive way to play the instrument uh, because we can alter pitches, uh, the, the chords that can be achieved by a, by a beautifully balanced in-tune trombone section really are, are quite phenomenal. Uh, but there you need masters to be able to do that. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to pick up that lovely instrument of yours and play something extended for us. What would you like to play? Well, um, I do love the works of uh, J.S. Bach. and uh, Let me guess. Okay. A cello suite. 
Of course, of course. This is such an interesting thing. As a bassoonist, I love to play the cello suites. Mm -hmm. The violists love the cello suites. The double bass players, these are like a very personal Bible for all of us. And, 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 and part of our sort of our intimate work in our practice room, but not often do the non-cellists take these works to the concert stage. Right, right. Well, let's hear, let's hear, you're going to do what from, from which suite? I'm going to do the Sarabande from the second suite, the suite in D minor. Okay, let's hear that. Doug, that was very beautiful, and it 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 constantly surprises me the ability of the bass trombone player to emulate the human voice as it does. One of your tricks and trade, of course, is the vibrato. Mm-hmm. In the pop field, in the commercial field, we're all familiar with the trombonist uh, moving the right hand back and forth to achieve a vibrato in the slide. Right. But you're producing your vibrato as a singer does. Yes. Yes. How? Mm-hmm. Uh, students ask me that all the time. Um, <clears throat> what I do is I listen to a lot of singers. I have quite an extensive collection of uh, vocal recordings, mainly uh, leader uh, and selected operas. And my good friend Nick Atkinson, uh, he's been in the orchestra for 31 years. He has shared his knowledge of uh, the voice with me and uh, opened my eyes and ears to wonderful artists. And um, you learn by imitation. It's, it's, it all has to do with the wind. Um, I don't do anything with the embouchure or the tongue. It's a felt sensation and an emotion uh, that, that is based in the wind. Um, sometimes I will visualize what uh, string players have in their left hand vibrato. Uh, sometimes they use a very fast, tight vibrato, sometimes a very, very slow, wide one, and I, I try to find one which works for the repertoire that I'm on. Sound on the trombone begins with the mouthpiece yes, and buzzing on the mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. How important is buzzing on the mouthpiece to your daily practice regime? Essential. Uh, it's the first thing that I do in the day. Um, <clears throat> uh, Buzzing on the mouthpiece uh, begins to get that um, connection and relationship between the mind and the body. 
in terms of pitch relationship. It requires you to use wind. Um, most of my mouthpiece buzzing, I don't use the tongue. So many brass players focus uh, a lot of attention on the tongue, and I try to take the tongue out of the uh, equation, certainly early in the day and, and as much as possible through, uh, through the rest of the day. Just run, show me for a few seconds the kind of buzzing that you would do. Okay. Okay, I get the idea. So, Doug, mm -hmm. trombone is a solo instrument. When did we first start to see the instrument being ex exploited for its uh, solo solo capacities? Is, are there concertos from the 18th or 19th century? Um, Leopold Mozart had a, a concerto. Um, Albrechtsberger, uh, Wagenseil, these are all uh, soloistic uh, trombone yeah, concerti. Not exactly household names. No, no. In uh, the 19th century... What did we when? When did we first see the sort of the most, the, the really important solo stuff coming up? Was it was it in in France in the conservatory tradition or where? Um, probably even later than the 19th century. Um, uh, that's not to say that uh, trombonists didn't play solos, but rarely were they uh, would they find pieces written specifically for them. They would borrow often from from other instruments. I would say that really. The solo repertoire for the trombone didn't start till the uh, 20th century. What composers advanced the instrument the most? Well, certainly Berlioz, um, with reference to what I uh, read off the top of the uh, podcast. He uh, quickly saw the potential for the trombone. Um, his Berlioz Requiem has some wonderful uh, brass writing, and, and particularly for the trombone, there's... Uh, I was fortunate enough to be on the Montreal Symphony Orchestra's recording of that with Charles de Troyes about 10 years ago, and there's a wonderful uh, set of uh, sequences where the bass trombone plays pedal pitches where three flutes are in uh, high harmony, and it, we're, we're separated by, it must be three or four octaves, but it's just this wonderfully angelic moment. And of course in Symphony Fantastique. Yes, yes, we get to growl out our pedal B-flats and pedal A's and yeah. uh, that's the orgiastic uh, <laughs> devil coming out. Yeah. And then of course in the last movement, the wonderful plain song chant, Dies Irae, the Day of the, day of the Dead. Right. Let's listen to a bit of that. Okay. <laughs> colorful writing from Berlioz. What about Brahms? Brahms was very much of a traditionalist. Um, uh, Brahms chose not to follow the line of composers that Berlioz started. Um, Brahms was more closely associated with uh, Schubert, Mozart, Haydn. So he wasn't one for innovation. However, he did recognize the association with the sound of the trombone and the solemnity that it can bring to a particular passage. He also um, 
took the dramatic uh, point of view that uh, Be- uh, that sorry uh, uh, Beethoven had, in that you don't want to use too much trombone. So in Brahms' first and fourth symphonies, we as trombonists sit on stage for the first three movements without playing a note. Then the first symphony, halfway through the fourth movement, we make our first appearance. It's like the um, the sun kind of comes out from behind these dark clouds, and we have this beautiful angelic chorale. What about Bruckner? Is he in that tradition? No, Bruckner follows the Berlioz line. Uh, Bruckner, Wagner, Mahler. Uh, Bruckner, I think, being an organist, uh, loved big, massive sound. He did understand the solemnity of the instrument. He did, yes, yes. And the magisterial might of it, and 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 the, and the religious tones and overtones that can come with the with the trombone. But Bruckner certainly was not shy about uh, scoring for trombones. We 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 certainly get a very good workout when we get the opportunity uh, to play uh, Bruckner. And of course, Gustav Mahler's symphonies. Oh yes, yeah. Th- th- those are those are just wonderful uh, works to be able to perform. I wish we did more of them I suppose here. Those in, those in the tone poems <laughs> of Richard Strauss are probably the most. Uh, extensive use of the instrument. That's right. Yeah. I want to talk to you about some really basic stuff. Mm-hmm. The, the instruments that uh, that you all play today, do people play the instruments for their whole career? I mean, if you buy a trombone, are you going to have it in 30 years' time? If you want to, uh, certainly someone who's an amateur um, uh, would very much be able to have that instrument and, and pass it on to their children. They don't wear out. Not really. Uh, the slide occasionally might wear out if you don't uh, maintain it well, but if it's well maintained, uh, the um, the tolerances will be will be fine. They, they are they are nickel coated. Are the instruments expensive? Instrument manufacturers have uh, devised uh, different models of trombones at different entry levels. You can buy a. Chevrolet version trombone for maybe uh, six or seven hundred dollars. You can go up to a Mercedes-Benz version for five, six, seven thousand dollars, which for us is a lot of money. But for most other instrumentalists in an orchestra, it's it's cheap. <laughs> it's cheap. Well, yeah. the string players will be just uh, will be just disgusted hearing that with their with their hundred and two hundred thousand and three hundred thousand dollar investments just to get into the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Doug, you're, um, we, we talked at the top of the program about the professional possibilities for, for trombonists. There's a glut in the market, of course. Oh, yes. How do you handle that as a teacher? I'm bluntly honest with any young person who uh, shows a desire to make their living as a professional trombonist. Um, I try not to be negative. Um, but I only encourage those who have the highest degree of talent and potential to pursue such a career, recognizing that the chances of uh, you winning an audition on the trombone are like winning a lottery. There are so many, many, many gifted young people and people who are no longer young, uh, just waiting for someone to pass away or to have an opening, and uh, they have their five or ten minutes of uh, playing excerpts, hoping that they can do it in such a fashion that the committee wants to hear more of them. How long of a career can a trombonist have? I mean, the, the buzzing and the breathing takes a toll on the body. Yes. Are you going to be playing when you're 70? No, 
No, I'm definitely not going to be playing when I'm Do 70. trombonists have careers that last that long? Not many of them. Certainly not at the highest orchestral level. Um, you can continue to play the trombone for many, many, many years and, and get great satisfaction and enjoyment from it. But the degree of expertise and perfection, um, stamina, courage, uh, that you require as a professional trombonist, I think limit you very much. Um, there aren't many that play beyond the age 65, but, but, but there are a few. And you have to love the instrument. I think because it's a larger mouthpiece uh, compared to the horn or the trumpet, I think a trombonist can have a longer career on average than a trumpet or a horn player because mm. of that. Right. Well, I wish you a very long career. Well, thank you. We have a wonderful trombone section in our orchestra. It's a great pleasure to work with you folks all the time. Doug Burden, thank you so much for coming in and speaking to us on the NACOcast today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for asking me. That's all for this edition of the NACOcast. Send us your comments and questions. You can reach us by sending an email to nacocast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting nac.ca slash podcasts. And there you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. And you can also easily find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Just search on NACOcast. (laughs) 